Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. You're listening to Agenda by Women in the Arts. My name's Katie Winton. And I'm Isabel Hawthorburn. We'll be with you for the next half an hour. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll be chatting on-screen lesbian death tropes with artist Zoe Wong and playing a couple of bangers, including the new Tommy Jenison's track that I'm pretty into. We'll uh, also be chatting about the politics of um, Trans Visibility Day yesterday and Muslim Women's Day and the political mobilisation of women guerrilla fighters in Colombia. We're also celebrating the gender wage gap being closed today. April Fool's, <laughs> ladies! You're still earning about 16 cents less to the dollar than your male counterparts. What a bargain! <laughs> Thankfully, one travel company has taken this into account. At Travel with Jane, women receive a 16% discount on their insurance policies. That's a bit of fun. That's so kind. Yeah. There's actually no country that currently enjoys wage parity. Um, in India, currently, um, the gap is at 27%. At the UK, it's 18.1%. In the USA, women are paid... 80 cents for every dollar um, paid to men. And I think if you look at the way that, that those figures play out against race and kind of intersections like that, it's even more saddening. <sighs> yeah, so maybe we need to take a leaf out of the book of the women of FARC in Colombia. The Guardian just uh, published an article about how as FARC, which was a militia group in Colombia, reached a peace deal with the government at the end of last year and is not demobilising. So the women uh, who make up about a third of the group are looking for ways of maintaining their political solidarity to overthrow masculinity. And they're addressing things like having freedom from abuse, as well as equal access to education, equal pay and the right to work outside the home. Yeah, I think it's interesting that for a militia group to be made up of a third women is pretty unusual. And so it kind of presents this very different trajectory for feminism and kind of gender equality. Um, we're, of course, not endorsing FARC. And I think that the article in The Guardian points to some of the less empowering elements or positive elements of the group's history. They do have kind of accusations of forced contraception and abortion and what sounds like pretty rampant sexual violence within um, within the group. Um, that's obviously contested. But, um, yeah, sorry, Katie, I just buried your little <laughs> glimmer of good news. <laughs> yeah, thanks, mate. Uh, it wasn't all doom and gloom this week, though. Yesterday was Trans Visibility Day, which is relatively new. Um, it's a relatively new holiday dedicated to uh, celebrating transgender people and raising awareness of discrimination faced by the transgender community worldwide. Yeah, I think that was actually good, considering that up until 2009, which is when Trans Visibility Day started, um, there was only Transgender Day of Remembrance, which was um, a day for mourning the murders of transgender people. So Transgender Visibility Day was a reaction to the lack of LGBT holidays that are actually cele- that are actually celebratory. So it kind of marks a difference between this kind of, yeah, mourning. Which is still very important, but... Exactly, but it's also saying we can celebrate these lives. Yeah, and these like points of yeah difference. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also very first International Muslim Women's Day on Monday this week, which was initiated as a response to the Muslim ban in the United States. Um, a website called, called MuslimGirl.com teamed up with various media organisations like Teen Vogue and Nylon to uh, designate March 27th as International Women's Day. 
Yeah, so happy International Muslim Women's Day for um, the 27th. MuslimGirl.com was started by Amani Al-Katatbe, and it's a platform for women, uh, Muslim women to voice their opinions on various issues. And it marks a day of celebration and recognition of uh, Muslim women. And for me, particularly just this year, I'm really surprised that this recognition of Muslim women's experiences is coming from fashion. Um, and particularly this collaboration between Teen Vogue and the um, the organisation is a really good example of the way that these kind of spaces are giving um, space again for those experiences. And I think that also the Nike Pro Hijab that came out earlier this year is another example of that. Um, and I think that fashion is a very unique space where different female experiences can be made visible and their diversity can be celebrated. And we often look to political spaces to voice that, that kind of diversity. So it's really cool, I think, that um, it's fashion. That's yeah, you're pretty obsessed with Teen Vogue at the moment. I right? know. <laughs> what is going on there? Like, I don't know who the editor is. I think they got a new editor recently. But they just keep on breaking these stories and these, like, really incredibly politically engaged kind of articles. And it's like, wait, what? what? <laughs> Since when was Teen Vogue this, like, really switched on? I mean, maybe that's just my own prejudice against it, you know, like... Yeah, stop discriminating against I know, Teen Vogue, like, big ups to them. It's really good. They And it's, like, good articles as well. Um, yeah, speaking about International Muslim Women's Day, there's a Muslim activist, Mona Haider, who released her new single and video called Hijabi on Monday to coincide with the day. Please do yourself a favour and watch it. It is an amazing video. It features her while she's eight months pregnant, rapping about the stigmatisation of w- Muslim women who wear hijabs. It's so good. It and is, and yeah. just like watching someone that pregnant look so tough, I was just like, oh, yes, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, incredible video. We're going to pop it on right now. Stick around because we've got uh, our interview with Zoe Wong coming up straight after this. You're on Agenda. What their hair look like, bet their hair look nice Don't that make you sweat, don't that feel too tight Yo, what your hair look like, bet your hair look nice How long your hair is, you need to get your life You only see oriental, you steady working that dental You popping up at the lip and run your mouth like a treadmill Not your exotic vacation, I'm bored with your fascination I need that paper, paper, paper if you want education All around the world Ladies, we was born in the 80s, so pretty like the Euphrates, and party like some Kuwaitis, deeper than some diplomas, current like some hot yoga, taking back the misnomers and teleporting through trauma, teleporting through trauma, teleporting through trauma, I've been stacking my karma, Nefertiti, no drama, make a feminist planet, woman haters get banished, covered up or not, don't ever take us for granted. All around the world, love women ever shaded.
sisters, these mipsters, these hippies, these prissies, these sufis, these dreadies, these sunnies, these shiais, Yemenis, Somalis, Lebanese, Pakistanis, these Sudis, Sudanis, Iraqis, Punjabis, Afghanis, Yazidis, Khadijis, Indonesians, Egyptians, Canadians, Algerians, Nigerians, Americans, Libyans, Tunisians, Palestinians, hidden beyond the Mekong and Laos, Senegalese and Burkina Faso. Hater there with hijabi. You're, we're joined now by artist and photographer Zoe. Oh, we're back. <laughs> just uh, I can listen to that again. Like, <laughs> very, very play it on repeat. <laughs> um, we're joined by artist and photographer Zoe Wong. Thanks for joining us, Zoe. No worries, anytime. Um, you have work in standing at the moment, which is a group exhibition that just opened at Gaffer Gallery on Thursday. Yep. Can you tell us a bit about your work that you have in that show? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's an installation work, um, which is based off this idea of the lesbian death trope within television, um, because I watch probably way too much TV. Um, but I'm just kind of fascinated by this trend within television of how all these kind of queer um, and lesbian characters keep getting killed off. Um, so what I did for this show was make um, a series of shrines for five characters that I selected um, just to kind of create like a physical morning space, basically, for these characters. Yeah, we've talked about Bury Your Gaze Mm. before on a gender and the kind of the trope of yeah. the lesbian uh, death on screen. Yeah. I think Autostraddle published a list of all the lesbians that were like killed in television. Yeah. And it was like exhaustive. And we actually yeah. read them out and Katie had to like interject halfway through and be like, is he, you have to stop now. <laughs> it's like, there are too many. It's like Battlestar Galactica and some of the like other shows. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. And they keep adding to it. Like I just checked the list um, again yesterday. I think it's like up to over 175 or something, but they keep publishing like new ones as it keeps happening. Mm, right. um, it's sad. It's, it's, yeah, definitely. And so standing is about emotional labor. Mm. That's the kind of curatorial premise. So how does your work fit into that? Yeah, um, I think like, well, like emotional labor and women, it's like mm. <laughs> all the time. Um I definitely, I think, like, um, I guess, like, making this kind of, or, or, like, having not such great representation of, like, such a big part of yourself on television, or, or having this, like, representation that keeps getting, like, knocked down, like, no matter what, it definitely puts you, it's, like, part of that emotional labor. And I guess, like, when I was making the shrines like that kind of really came out as well there was definitely like a sort of uh physical mental ailment that went along with it and I'm making like other bodies of work that are kind of attached to it um and it's like it's actually like it's kind of stressful because like I'm putting myself through watching like all these dead lesbian scenes like um and trying to like track them and work with them um so yeah 
kind of... Yeah, I could imagine it'd be quite an emotional process because even watching, you know, even when Poussey dies, you know, oh like that, God. I cried that a lot like... in that episode and I... that's one example. I, and I think I like carried that around with me for like yeah. the week afterwards. That was, was a just full like... on death. Yeah. Yeah, that was a full on one. I read a really great, um, I read a really great article on After Ellen, um, which now is after Ellen is now deceased, which is kind of sad. Like all the great writers that were on there got sacked, but and all um, the great lesbians on television. I know, <laughs> along with that. Um, but they've still got their archive up, so you can you can look up the article um, if you just look up Orange Is the New Black on their archive. But it was this great like personal essay about this um, woman who said like why she didn't appreciate Poussey's death um, because like people kind of weren't counting it because it was like. Uh, Orange is the New Black has majority lesbian characters, so if you kill a lesbian character off in a lesbian show, does it count? Like, which I think it does. But I mean, I think it's like an interesting debate. But she was saying how she didn't agree with what the writers did for that because um, it was like they were killing her off to show ignorant people um, the violence that is, you know, like put on black people. Mm. But like she said that like she didn't need to see that on television to know that like she knows that and so it's like this thing where it's like you know minorities are constantly like trying to explain themselves to majorities and why do we do that and i think that part of the problem of orange is the new black potentially is that their writing team is all white and so a lot of people have said well it's just it's just trauma porn for white people yeah you know like because they're all lesbians you have to kill the person of color yeah yeah it becomes this yeah, yeah, like, I think it's that thing. Like, I, I get what they were trying to do with the narrative. Like, they were trying to show, pol- like, police brutality and, like, what happens, you know, to African-Americans in these systems. But it's, like, you like we don't need to do... You know, the great thing about Poussey was that she was such a great, um, like, Complex uplifting character, yeah. character. Like, she really, like... I was just watching Orange is the Bl- New Black for her. Like, yeah, she was, yeah, like, I totally. Would just, and yeah. I find myself, like, skipping ahead to her parts because I just, like... Yeah, like that. she's like a shining star yeah. in the dark. <laughs> and she's one of the characters that features in your installation. Yes, yeah. What are the other ones and how did you go about choosing them? Because that's such a huge kind of yeah. uh, archive of characters to be able to draw from. Yeah, I basically picked like my favourite characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who is your favourite character? Um, well, like I'm obsessed with Lexa from the 100, so she's in there. Um, and then I also had Dana Fairbanks from the L Word and then I had Xena classic um it it was funny actually at the opening everyone was like asking me they were like is Xena a lesbian have you watched Xena yeah I know I was like okay when you're little and you like watched it you don't really notice Mm. but like re-watching it it's like the subtext rapidly becomes text it's like there is like no line between her and Gabrielle I mean come on yeah right (laughs) it's like pretty obvious um but yeah so we want to hear from you as well. Text us your favorite LGBTQI TV character 0409-945-945. Mine is still Titus Andromedon at the moment from Unbreakably Kimmy Schmidt. But let us know who yours is. We're going to take a track now that actually features in Orange is the New Black at the end of season one. I have been listening to this one on repeat this week as well. <laughs> this one is called Language Warning. I don't give a fuck by Boss. Uh, a lot of cussing. <laughs> You're on agenda on FBI. Not a single fuck, not a single solitary fuck, I don't give a fuck, motherfucker. I don't give a fuck, not a single fuck, not a single solitary fuck, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck, not a single fuck, not a single solitary fuck, I don't give a fuck, motherfucker. I don't give a fuck, not a single fuck, not a single solitary fuck, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about none of y'all.
That was I Don't Give a Fuck by a Boss. That was Katie's choice for the week. Are you okay, Katie? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> it's just a really powerful song. and It's you know. powerful. It's really powerful. It's a good walking to work one. <laughs> We're talking to Zoe Wong about her work in standing at Gaffer Gallery at the moment. Um, I saw on Instagram that you went to the flower markets before yes. your um, event and so they, they were going to be those flowers look so beautiful um, in front of the shrines to the deceased lesbians of television um, and I was just wondering if the show the show's going till the 10th of April yeah, yeah. so are those flowers going to kind of perish over that time yeah yeah I wanted something that would kind of decay because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking a lot I mean, like, my inspiration for the shrines was, like, um, roadside memorials, but also, like, public figure memorials. So, like, you know, Princess Di and, like, Martin Place. Um, And I just find those really interesting because it is a place where people just kind of lob all these flowers and they do just kind of, like, decay and Mm. rot and get, like, really gross. But I kind of like that element of it. Um, So there's, like, a mixture of, like, real flowers and fake flowers in the exhibition, I hope. Gaffer Gallery is okay with this space <laughs> smelling like rotting flowers. Dear Gaffer Gallery, <laughs> I'm now you so know. sorry. <laughs> she did the. Um, she asked me whether she should spray them with water. I said, nah, just leave them. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> oh dear. Um, and what else are you working on at the moment? Because this has been an ongoing work yeah. for a while. Do yeah. you have anything else in the works? Yeah, I mean, like I've got, um, I've got like two lines of thought at the moment. You know, like I've got a a lot of works about being Asian and then other works about, you know, the lesbian stuff. Um, I'm doing I'm I'm in the middle of composing like a video work for um, the lesbian death trope. And I'm trying to collect and collate um, all the death scenes, uh, which is really full on. Yeah. And also for someone that hasn't really ventured into video work before, it's a lot of work. Um, But recently that's kind of been shifting a bit. I'm at the moment I'm collecting screenshots of the moments of death and I was going to um, print those and have those like as a photographic work instead so that's like kind of one tangent that I'm working on at the moment another show I guess (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like in terms of like emotional labor that would be like laborious yeah to kind of have to go through that is like the video stuff is like really intense I didn't like I didn't actually think about it like when I first started it Um, editing I was like oh yeah I'll just like cut all these bits together no worries Um, but then like after spending eight hours doing it I just found that I was like completely drained at the end of the day after watching like Tara McClay get shot on Buffy about eight times oh god (laughs) (laughs) so it's full-on speaking of that emotional labor and that kind of trauma process do you think, I mean, by having these installations in a physical space where the audience can come and mourn that on-screen death as well in a real-life kind of um, situation, do you think it becomes a, like a collective process of mourning in terms of that? Is yeah, that kind of cathartic? I, yeah, like I hope so. Um, it was nice, like at the opening, like all my queer friends or like um, lesbian friends came up to me and they were like, yeah, fuck yeah. Like, and they really got it and they were like high-fiving me and they were like, I fucking love this. They were so into it and it was really nice because like I knew that it just like, they got it straight away. Like it was something that they could just click on with. And that was like really nice. It felt like, I don't know, like a community thing. Yeah, because it's something that's not necessarily acknowledged outside of the sphere of things like autostraddle, which is catered to an LGBTQI yeah, like, audience. Yeah, totally. I think it's like that mourning and that grieving process for... And it's like it's funny because it's like TV characters, but they do have like a real weight in our lives. I mean, like how much television do we all consume? And I think like the mourning process is always um, rest- like kind of restricted to online 
platforms. Um, so it was kind of, yeah, it was nice to have a physical space and have people react within that physical space. Did you come to a moment where you, I mean, in the kind of process of creating this work, was it was there a moment where you recognised that this kind of uh, visibility of characters on, on screen had been coming from a long build-up of, I mean, I've talked to you before about yeah, you course. growing up and not having that visibility and yeah. then acknowledging that that was an important part of yeah, your identity. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, when I was coming out, which was, like, very early in high school, I would have only been, like, 13, um, I didn't, like... I was in Wollongong, I didn't have a very, like, strong gay community around me. Um, so, you know, seeing, like, lesbians on television, like, really helped me. I mean, like, but like watching Buffy, like, really helped me. Like, um, seeing Willow, who's one of the main characters, because um, she kind of finds out about her sexuality, like, during college and then ends up with a female partner who gets shot, but <laughs> <laughs> that's another story. Um, but seeing that and seeing that she was okay made me feel okay and the same with like being able to like watch the l word like i consumed that so quickly i used to stay up till six in the morning watching (laughs) that um but it just like to see lesbians on screen be okay made me realize that i could still have a normal life and be gay and that was all right because like when i first kind of found out i was gay i feel like sometimes the immediate reaction is like oh my god my life is just going to be completely and utterly different which is not really it's like the same because <laughs> like being gay doesn't really change that but yeah then to have those characters killed off unfairly mm. it's is a sad. huge weight yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but i do think like buffy had its like 20 year anniversary or something like yeah, that yeah and so many articles were written by queer people about the importance of that relationship particularly like it's so important especially during that time like because there was nothing like it on television Mm. unless it was like really coded yeah totally yeah Yeah. so Joss Whedon did a good job with that he just did a good job with everything that show is like brilliantly written and like I think even like TV writers always reference it as just like this strangely brilliant show it is is an amazing show well crafted yeah and I recommend everyone to watch Buffy it is like it is like my bible like Mm. I refer to Buffy all the time it is so good do you have any other favorite shows or recommendations for us for the moment um yeah I would get into well if we're going down the lesbian zone um (laughs) we always are yeah (laughs) uh I would definitely get into like for sci-fi nerds sensate um yeah is that good yeah it's like it's slow to begin with Mm. It, it takes commitment because it's real confusing. But, like, I think that that show has the best lesbian relationship representation on screen today. Like, they are so supportive of one another. It's Nomi and Amanita, and they are just, like, so in love and so there for one another, and it is so positive. And I know that... Um, I can't pronounce their last name. Wachowska? Lana Wachowska it's like the Wachowski they were the Wachowski brothers and now they're the Wachowski sisters they did the Matrix um but I know that she was like very conscious about that when she made this show like she wanted there to be a very strong queer relationship on screen that like never faltered and that's like what it is and I like hold on to that so tightly (laughs) yeah well you heard it here first on agenda (laughs) senses eight is sense eight sense eight sense eight yeah Best lesbian relationship yeah. on, on your screen. TV, yeah. on screen. Any other recommendations? Um, I, yeah, I mean, like, um, Carmilla is a really good web series um, that, you know, it's based off that um, kind of old lesbian vampire sort of thing, but um, all the characters in that are queer and it's, like, a really good 
um, production. And I've never heard of that. It's good for binge watching. Like each episode is only like four minutes or like three minutes, and Amazing. you just like you think like um, you think like you won't end up watching it for three hours, but you do. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened to me. For sure. Oh, actually, I remembered some good news. I've just been such a Debbie. Yeah, not happy today, but <laughs> I remembered that Samira Wiley, who does play Poussey um, in Orange is the New Black, just got married to her fiancé oh in five God. months. Oh, my God, those Lauren photos. Really. Okay, those, like, wedding shots are so beautiful. It hurts my heart. It's like, <laughs> and that pantsuit or whatever, yeah. her, like, wedding dress is a pant. It's just, oh, yeah. I was like, I want this. Yeah. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Yeah. 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 It's, so like, it's... up there with Ellen and Portia's wedding photos, for sure. <laughs> so good. We might post some wedding on the agenda page today. Please. Amazing. Women in the Arts is now um, <laughs> just like Paris a trash mag for queer people. <laughs> um, Zoe, thank you so much for coming in today to talk to us on Agenda. No, thank you. If you've missed any of our conversation, we've been talking about Zoe Wong's new work for an exhibition that's happening at Gaffer Gallery at the moment called Standing, curated by Emily Galchek. We'll pop a link up on the Agenda show page to that if you missed our conversation and you want to head down. We're going to leave you with a trick, a new, oh, wow, a new track <laughs> now <laughs> by Tommy Genesis. A uh, bit of a language warning on this one as well. Yeah, this Katie's is- on one this week. So <laughs> just- Look, I've really, I've not had a great week, but music <laughs> is very helpful. <laughs> um, this one is called Empty. You've been on agenda. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Sometimes I feel really alone. I make you better, but you make me sad. Make you better, but you make me sad. I'll make you better, but you make me sad. If you hurt me, I won't hurt you back. I'm a bad bitch. If you notice me, I switch back. Swish. Swish. I'm a bad bitch. If you notice me, I switch back. Swish. Swish. She is evil. Have you tried? Beautiful. Are you still in love with her? I ain't 